Well, hello, everyone, and happy Mother's Day. It's so great to be here with you. Uh, as Denver's kind of mentioned before, it's technically Friday night for us, but we are very much in the Mother's Day spirit. And so uh, thank you guys so much. I know it probably wasn't the Mother's Day uh, that you had planned, uh, but in some ways, it very much is. Uh, you're together with loved ones. Uh, you're thinking of your mom today. And uh, again, just a great opportunity to celebrate uh, and thank God uh, for the person that he used to give us life. And so uh, again, hope you'll celebrate with me uh, on Mother's Day, and uh, just very, very grateful uh, that we get to do that. I've uh, got a great passage of scripture that we're going to jump through today. If you got your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 3, and then Genesis chapter 44. We'll continue in our study of the life of Joseph. Mark chapter 3, and then Genesis 44. It starts with this question uh, Have you ever had a best friend before? Have you ever had a best friend before? Now, just for the record, I'd, I'd like you to think back to your very, very first best friend uh, in the very, very beginning. And I can tell you for me, that was a dude named Kyle Jones. Um, Kyle was the perfect best friend to have uh, when I was uh, when I was between the ages of four and seven years old because he lived two houses down, all right, so we could play together all the time. Our moms were best pals also, uh, but uh, his mom's name is Brenda Jones, and uh, Brenda Jones and my mom were absolute best of friends. We went to the same church. We both had bikes, and because we were both born in 1981, we loved to play Top Gun together. Of all things, you'll appreciate that, Ben. We used to play Top Gun together. One of us was Maverick. The other was Iceman. And I'm going to be honest, it didn't matter who you were, all right? It was just cool. It was just very, very cool. Be either, be either Maverick or Iceman, but we'd have so much fun together. He had this back in the day. He had this like airplane that had like a handle from Top Gun, and we would play the Top Gun video on the television and fly our planes like we were flying on the video. It was amazing. And it got me thinking, two houses down, proximity was in, our, uh, was in our favor, our moms being best friends, we were very accessible in the time we got to spend together, um, our church, we shared faith, bikes and Top Gun, we had fun together, I'm telling you, all the stars aligned so that we could be best friends until that fateful day when I had to move away. My dad took a job in Lubbock, Texas, we were in Graham, Texas at the time, he took a job in Lubbock, Texas, and then I had to go through the best friend cycle all over again. Now here's what I've noticed over time. It's pretty easy when you're younger to find somebody who's a best friend, but it can be tougher. As we get older, it's more difficult to find someone that you trust with all the intricacies of your life. In fact, just for the record, Jesus went through the exact same process. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. It says, now Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him, look at this, those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them as apostles. Underline, he appointed 12, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him, underline, be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, underline, to preach, and to have authority, underline, to have authority, to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, whom he gave the, name, gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him he gave the name uh, Boagnus, which means the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who would eventually betray him. Now stop there for just a minute. I want you notice something. Sometimes when it comes to our faith, 
we can read the verses where Jesus talks about loving our enemies and treating one another with respect and with equality. And sometimes we can think that that means that we treat everyone that way. Well, we do. We do treat everyone with equality and treat everyone with a genuine concern, even those who disagree with us. But our inner circle, from the mind of the Son of God himself, Jesus chooses 12. He chooses 12. It says here that they would be with him, that he could send them out to preach, and that they could have authority over spiritual matters. Now, here's the deal. The calling of the inner circle is not for the crowd. There are certain things that we do as believers in Jesus Christ with everyone, with the world at large. But what Jesus lays out here for us is there are some things that are meant for the inner circle. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is very Christ-like to be selective in your close relationships. It is very Christ-like to be selective in your close relationships. If some of you are being honest, your attitude towards close relationships is that old song from the 60s, if you can't be with the one you love, what? Love the one you're with. If there is worse advice on this planet, I don't know what it is, all right? To love the one you're with, man, over the person that, uh, that actually could help you and push you towards the Lord, especially in the modern society that we live in. Communication is so accessible. It's not about proximity. It's about trust. It's about having faith and care, genuine care for one another. Because in Jesus' case, these are individuals that he is going to allow to be around him in times that are good, bad, and ugly. These are individuals that he is going to teach how to proclaim the, work of, the word of Almighty God. And these are people he's going to give authority in spiritual matters. When I read this passage and when we read the study that we're going to read in Genesis today... There are some people in your life, in your inner circle, and it may be that up until this point, it's all been about proximity. It's all been about how easy it is to connect, and the truth is, God is calling you to something deeper. He's calling you to really test those relationships to make sure that the ones in your inner circle are worthy of being in your inner circle. Leading up to Genesis 44, remember, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. And after being sold into slavery, he goes on an amazing journey where he ends up the number two person in all of Egypt, right behind Pharaoh himself. The brothers then show back up. The brothers that hurt him, the ones that abused him in the past that sent him on this path of difficulty. And all of a sudden when they show up, Joseph has found forgiveness with Almighty God he has found reconciliation by the brothers being brought back in. But listen, Joseph wants his family to be whole. There's another step beyond reconciliation that has an opportunity to take place here. Joseph desires for his brothers to be partners with him again, for them to truly be a family in partnership. Now listen to me. When it comes to forgiveness, Forgiveness is between you and God, and it's where we find peace where people have hurt us in the past or where we've hurt others in the past. Reconciliation is like when you can finally invite them into your house for them to come and to be around you. You can be uh, sociable together. There's not hatred that's present, but listen, partnership, partnership is where you give them the keys to your house. There are some of you today as we go through this study, and honestly, Someone who you love deeply, a father, a mother, a brother or sister, a spouse, a child, has hurt you deeply, 
and you've come to the point where honestly you've accepted and found forgiveness with our God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you've begun to let them back into your life, but you're wondering, is it possible that I can partner with them again, that I could hand them the keys to the house? Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a best friend, maybe it's someone in your neighborhood to where you could finally say, either figuratively or literally, I'm willing to give you the keys to my house. I believe that the Lord is calling me to let you in again with unhindered access in my life. Now hear me say this. The reason I wanted to start off with Mark chapter three to lead into this study is because you are not called to do this with everyone. There is not a, every person that you have reconciliation with is not necessarily someone that the Lord wants you to enter into partnership with. But there will be some. And for those of you in a marriage relationship, if you have become strained and God brings about forgiveness, he brings about reconciliation, and then all of a sudden you've got a real shot at partnership again, at truly reconnecting as husband and wife to where you can be not like you were before, but it could be something beautiful, something new that God has created, a true heavenly partnership. It begs this question, what are some signs that we can let someone into our inner circle again? What are some signs that we can let someone into our inner circle again? Now flip over to Genesis chapter 44, and we're going to start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 44, we're going to start in verse 1. Now remember, Joseph has just had the deal where he's met with the, uh, his brothers, where he's just uh, had the meal with them, uh, and Benjamin gets the, the five times portion that he can eat, and they all get together, and it's just this beautiful experience. And here's Joseph going, I want to let them back in. But Joseph has some baggage with him. The baggage with Joseph is that he's the number two person in all of Egypt, which is the empire that's in charge of the entire world, known world at this point. So for Joseph to let his brothers back into his life, for him to partner with them again, is a really, really big deal. Imagine the vice president of the United States having some wayward family members. I'm not, this is no political commentary, this is just hypothetical. He's got a family members that are a little bit off or have a past, but have become different men and different women, and then all of a sudden, the vice president is sitting there going, I want to let them back in. I want to give them the keys to my house so that we can partner again, but there's a whole lot of baggage and there's a whole lot of people counting on me that I've got to make sure I'm not handing the keys to someone who's going to hurt me or hurt the people that I'm in charge of, hurt the people that I love. That's the situation that we have for Joseph. Now look at jo or, uh, Genesis chapter 44, verses one and two. It says, now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house. Now remember, the steward is the one who's in on the whole story. He's the one who, who is Joseph's confidant as he goes through this time. It says, Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house. Fill these men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the silver uh, for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. Now stop right here for just a minute. What we've just experienced in this passage is Joseph setting up a test for his brothers. Now we're stopping here and I'm looking directly into the camera to say this to you. Just because Joseph tests the brothers here, sets up a test for them, does not mean that you should for this person in your life. Now listen to me. There's a difference between setting up a test for someone 
and in watching them while they are tested. Let me say that again. There's a difference between setting up a test for someone and in watching someone while they are tested over the time that you spend with them. It is my belief from this passage that what Joseph is doing is indigenous to Joseph and what is indigenous to us, to you and me reading this passage, is we need to watch with him. He is watching the brothers be tested. But it's very important to also note that for us, we don't need to test one another. In fact, there's a beautiful proverb that says, do not dig a pit because eventually you will fall into it, okay? The idea there is we should not set traps for one another because we're the ones that end up falling into them later. But what we have here in this passage is Joseph creating an opportunity and seeing if the brothers really are changed, not so they can be reconciled, but so they can move to Egypt with him, so they can move into the White House, so they can be there and be a part of him and of all the blessings that God has given to him. Now look at what happens in verses 44, verses 3 through 11. The setup is, he says, give everybody back their stuff, but he says, take my cup and put it in Benjamin's bag. He said, when Benjamin has it in his bag, we're going to go after him. We're about to read about this. And when they go after him, it's going to look like Benjamin stole the cup. And Joseph wants to watch and see how they respond to see if their honesty is real. Look at what happens in verse 3. It says, as morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? Underline uses for divination. This is a wicked thing that they have done. Uses for divination is a way to say this was like his cup, his thinking cup, okay? When he's drinking out of this cup, it's when he's at the head of the table. I mean, the cup that's been stolen is not just any cup. I mean, they had taken his cup. Did you ever have this before where you went to somebody's house and there was a chair that was mom or dad's chair and you did not sit in the chair? My granddad was the one. You did not sit in granddad's chair unless you had permission to sit in granddad's chair. This is a situation where he goes, you've taken my master's cup. It doesn't touch anybody else's lips except for his. In fact, he uses it on very special occasions. He uses it for divination. And you're going to steal that cup. Now look what happens in verse, uh, in verse 7. It says, but they, uh, verse six, when he caught up to them, he repeated these words, but they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it for your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks last time. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have had it, he will die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you have said. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave and the rest of you will be free from blame. Now look at verse 11. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Underline and highlight quickly lowered and that they opened the sack. Can I tell you why that's important? Before we even go into what happens to them afterwards, before we even get into the fact that they've been set up in this moment, Joseph's brother's honesty starts with them being open to show the truth to Joseph and to uh, the steward here. If you're taking notes, write this down. What are signs that we can let someone into our inner circle? Number one, first and foremost, their life is open to you. Let me say that again. Their life 
is open to you. There are some of you in this room who desire a best friend, or some of you watching this that desire a best friend so badly. One of the first things that you need to realize is that just because you're open to them doesn't mean that they are a good friend for you. It's got to be a two-way street. It's got to be an actual relationship. It's why when we do marriage counseling with couples, we talk about them and say, are you laying all your cards on the table here? Are you being honest? Is there something that you're hiding from one another? We got to come to a point for an inner circle relationship to happen on any level or for reconciliation to go back into partnership. You can't hide things from each other. There has to be truth on every level. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. Giving, one, giving someone full access to you without receiving full access to them is not partnership. Let me say that again. Giving full access to you without receiving full access to them is not partnership. Now, I've already gotten emails throughout this whole corona stretch that some of you will say during the service that you will like hit each other and go, that's you and you need to listen to that, okay? Just for the record, we all need to listen to this. We gotta come to a point where we're honest with each other. We gotta come to a point where we're not hiding things from each other. Love cannot develop. Friendship, companionship, this, again, this, this partnership cannot grow if there's no trust. And trust can't exist where there are secrets, some of you would say, does that mean I just need to be an open book with everybody? No. Go back to the first part of the sermon. You can rewind it. Go back to the first part of the sermon. This is not for everybody. But for people on your inner circle, there should be someone who truly and honestly knows you. My friend Jordan Davis is in here. One of my favorite shows. Jordan and I are from the same generation, all right? And uh, it's kind of fun living here in D.C. I think back to a show that was on when we were younger called The West Wing. You remember The West Wing, Jordan? Great show, right? The most watched episodes of The West Wing, okay, which was on the life of the president back in the day, um, or, or the, the fake president back in the day. Um, and in the show, the most watched episodes were the ones where the assassination attempt took place of, uh, of the president. And so uh, they go through all the backstory of the different characters. It's uh, two or three episodes and just a really fun stretch to watch. But it starts off with a really cool picture of your life being open, not to everyone, but to people who you are partnered with. The president's been shot and uh, is going in for surgery and the president's wife, played by Stalker Channing, all right, uh, Rizzo from uh, Greece, all right, Stalker Channing runs in to meet with the surgeon who's about to operate on the president, and she closes the doors, is in there right beside the, uh, the doctor, and she said, what you are about to hear, and then she names off a list of about four or five people. She says, only such and such, such and such, and such and such. No, the president has MS. Just needed you to know that, full disclosure, before you operate on him. Well, what you've realized in that moment is that that information, if out, could have hurt him politically, and they have kept it from the public. But because this man is about to operate on her husband, he needs all the information before that partnership can truly take hold. The same is true for you and me. When it comes to people that we partner with, there should be someone in your life that knows everything, that knows all the twists and all the turns. And I'm not talking about brutal truth. 
I'm just talking about the truth about who you are. If they didn't know in that TV series that he had MS, then they could have made decisions that eventually could have hurt them unintentionally. A true inner circle relationship is you knowing their stuff, them knowing your stuff, and you having this mutual, beautiful, Christ-centered partnership where you can be honest. It begs the question, are they willing to commit to you if you are truly considering letting someone into your life, truly letting them in to the inner circle, giving them the keys to your house, are they willing to commit to you? I can tell you a one-sided relationship is awful. It's incredibly empty for both sides because in the end, it's not really a friendship. It's not really a relationship. If you're the one doing all the listening, then you're their counselor. And if you're the one doing all the talking, then you are selfish. It's just the way that it goes. A real relationship requires both happening at the same time. Now look at what happens next. Look at Genesis 44, verses 12 and 13. Here's what it says next. Now remember, they lowered the sacks quickly. They lowered the bags quickly as if to say, look, we got nothing to hide here. Our lives are an open book. Again, our our time with you. uh, You can look in the sack and see exactly what it is that we have. Look at verse 12. It says, then the steward proceeded to search, look at this, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And when the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now stop right there for just a minute. I love this because just like a movie, From oldest to youngest, it has been set up. I mean, it is. Oh, it's not here. It's not here. It's not here. And the brothers are like, yeah, we told you it wasn't here. We told you that we wouldn't do that. We promised you that we were going to treat you well like you were treating us. And then all of a sudden, in the very last sack, look at what it says next in verse 13. It says, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, look at this, they tore their clothes and then they, uh, then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Now underline loaded their donkeys and returned to the city and tore their clothes. I want you to notice this. In response to the conflict of what has just taken place, they start off by tearing their clothes. Now the picture of tearing the clothes in the Old Testament period was this idea of if I have done something wrong unknowingly, God, I repent of it. What these guys have just done right here in this moment is they've torn their clothes and they've cried out in repentance. The other part that I love about this is it says then they loaded their donkeys and they headed back to Egypt. The picture there is they didn't run away. They didn't go on the lamb. They didn't kill the Egyptian officials and then take off back down the road. The reason that that's important is because when conflict is set in, they are not only talking like honest men, but they are acting like honest men. If you're taking notes, what are some signs we can let someone into our inner circle? Number one, their life is open to you. And number two, you've experienced their response to conflict. You've experienced their response to conflict. If you are thinking of marrying someone and you have never seen them in a time of difficulty, that first one's going to be a doozy for you and for them. We usually will say this sometimes when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling. It's usually premarital counseling. They'll be holding on to each other in premarital counseling and they'll go, We just love each other. We don't ever fight. We don't ever fight. And you sit there, and again, I'm more than 15 years married. 
and I had four kids, and we started a church together. And you sit there. We've been through cancer with my father. And you just sit there and you look at him going, we don't ever fight and we don't think we're ever going to. And you go, well, you will. And it's going to be a doozy. And they always look at you like, you murderer of love. I can't believe that you would feel that way, you murderer of love. And you're sitting there going, it's just the truth. It's the reason in the marriage vows. What do you say? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Till death do we part, right? The idea there is that it's the highs and lows in marriage. You're going to experience both of those. There are times when it'll be better, and there are times when it's going to be worse. There are going to be times when you got money, and there's going to be times when you got dead. There's going to be times when you struggle with sickness, either with you or someone else's. And then there's going to be times when you're healthy, you're traveling, you're having fun, and everything's going good. If you are thinking of letting somebody into your inner circle, a lot of the relationship tests will say, wait two years before you married somebody. My wife got married, my wife and I got married 10 months from our first date. Now listen, I'm not saying that that's the right way to do it, but can I tell you what happened in those 10 months? We got to see a lot of the gambit of the decisions we were making we saw through that stretch how each other responded in times of conflict and difficulty. We also got to see how one another handled success and God's blessing. It's not about a timeline. It's about you honestly knowing what it is that you're getting into. You got to know. A lot of people will tell you how they'll respond in conflict. It's a completely different deal when you get to see it for yourself. Are you thinking of letting somebody into your inner circle, calling them your best friend, allowing them to have the keys to your house, literally or figuratively? Have you been at odds and you're thinking about letting someone back into your life? I wouldn't do it until you've seen them in conflict, until you've watched when they get squeezed what it is that really comes out of them. It's the reason that Jesus says what's in a person comes out of a person. My dad used to preach, when you get squeezed, what comes out of you, he used to say, you is what you is. You ooze what you ooze, and you is what you is, my dad used to say. You've got to experience their response to conflict. If you're taking notes, write this down. Pressure reveals a side to people that can be hidden in simpler times. Pressure reveals a side to people that can be hidden in simpler times. A very simple uh, uh, explanation on this, by the way, has to do with test driving a car before you buy it, okay? My dad, back when I was younger and started looking at buying a car, um, I originally had wanted a pickup truck. Grew up in West Texas, and so uh, just about every person in West Texas, the, the guys and the girls, we all wanted pickup trucks to drive around. In fact, my wife drove a little gold Ford Ranger pickup when she was in high school, and, uh, and then all the way into our first years of marriage, she drove this gold Ford Ranger pickup truck. Well, I wanted a pickup truck too. I was a Chevy guy, and so I wanted a Chevy pickup truck. And I'll never forget, we went to look at a pickup truck, and it was exactly, look-wise, what I wanted. It was an old, black Chevy pickup truck. It had the short bed instead of the long bed, so my friends wouldn't try to get a whole bunch of work out of me with it. All right, not only that, um, it had the big bench seat in the front, and I just thought it was the coolest-looking truck ever. I think it was like an 84. I just thought it was the coolest-looking truck ever. I wanted it so bad. And my eyes are so big, and when we go to look at it, I was just so excited. And I'll never forget, I'm like, Dad, let's pay for it. Let's buy it. Let's buy this truck right now. One of my friends is going to show up and get it. And he goes, Son... 
You always test drive a car overnight. He said, you never know what's going to happen. And he looks at the guy selling the truck, and he goes, can we test drive it overnight? And he goes, I got several people coming to look at this truck. They never have several people coming to look at that truck, I promise you. We got several people coming to look at this truck. And Dad said, well, then I guess this one's not for us. And I'm over there like, what? What? That's my truck, right? That's exactly what I want. That's what, I'm, that's what I've been waiting for. Don't let it get away, Dad. Oh, Dad, you're just so simple. I remember thinking that. He's just so simple. He doesn't understand the market today, right? I'm, I'm 15, 16 years old, a fool. Sure enough, the guy goes, uh, all right, I'll let you test drive it. At that point, I'm like, woohoo! I got the truck for a night, get to drive it around. In fact, I drove it around, hung out with some of my friends, and then I drove it back to the house that evening thinking that was going to be my truck. <laughs> but then came the conflict. The conflict was I was about to take the truck to school and then go drop off the check for the down payment to the man we were buying it from. But all of a sudden, I went up and it went, but it wouldn't turn over. One night, I look underneath it. And there is oil and red fluid dripping underneath the truck. I'm looking, and I'm not talking a little. I'm talking a lot, enough that it wouldn't even start. I go in and I go, Dad, what does this mean? He goes, it means we ain't buying this truck. He said, there looks like a crack in the radiator. He says, it's a terrible idea. He goes, we couldn't have known this if we hadn't let it sit. He goes, that dude probably filled up the radiator before you drove out He said, the whole goal was maybe it could make it for 24 hours if they filled it up. And he said, that's not a person we want to trust, and that's not a car that you want to drive. Now listen to me. If any of you ever have a place that you need to be, there is a pretty good trust relationship, a partnership between you and your vehicle, all right? I don't care where you are watching this from. There's a pretty good partnership between you and your vehicle. And you don't want to trust something where on the first day you have it, oil and red fluid are dripping underneath it. Now listen to me. If you're thinking of partnering with somebody, see them in conflict. See what it looks like when they go through a time of difficulty and listen, that doesn't make you a judge over them. You don't hate this person or belittle them if they respond badly to conflict. Listen, you invite that person to your house, you don't give them the keys. That's the picture. You don't invite, or you invite that person to your house. You can experience reconciliation and friendship, but partnership, partnership requires something deeper. That needs to be someone who's dependable. Save your spot there in Genesis and flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 8 through 10. In 1 Timothy 3, we have Paul writing to Timothy, a pastor in the early church. He's writing to him who it is to empower and leadership. And look at what he says here. He says, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in too much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They are to keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Look at verse 10. They must first be tested. Underline and highlight, they must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Now just for the record, deacon doesn't mean decision maker. The literal translation of deacon means servant. 
What we find out in this passage is Paul says, even the people in the church, not just the decision makers, but the people who are serving the people, the tip of the spear, the ones serving your congregation, your flock, he says that those are individuals that need to stay away from drinking too much alcohol. They need to be people that are dependable on every level. They need to have a clear conscience. And then he says, and by the way, make sure you've observed them in times of conflict. They must first be tested before you ever consider letting someone in even to serve your people, to lead as servants. He said they've got to be somebody that you've watched during a time of difficulty. Now, just for the record, Joseph tests the brothers. Don't test these people. Be patient and wait to see the progress of when the Lord tests them. Be an observer in their life. And then once you've seen it, you get the full picture. It begs our next question. Are you seeing the full picture? Are you seeing the full picture? Or are you the one saying, I'm not going to take it for a test drive. I just need to sign on right here, right now. If that's you... And you don't wait to watch people in times of conflict? Listen to me. I'm going to love you when I say this. You can take a tail kicking for the rest of your life. If you don't really weigh in who you partner with in business, you're going to get in so much trouble because you're never really going to know those people that you're trusting with your business. If you just jump into marriage with somebody before you've actually watched them handle and navigate a time of conflict, you're setting yourself your family, and your spouse up for failure because when conflict happens, things begin to change. It's different. It's like a mask is removed and you need to know what's underneath that mask. You need to know what you're really working with before you get into a situation where they have a key to your house. When it comes to a best friend, you need to watch him in times of conflict before you just open the door to your life and share every gory detail of what you're navigating. Some of you are watching this and you're like, Zach, this seems so elementary. And then there are others of you watching this going, this is so revolutionary. This is a teaching laid out for us in scripture. And sometimes it can seem like it's just so simple. But a lot of the root difficulties we have in this world are specifically tied to the fact that we don't really think through the relationships that we have. We don't really think through the partnerships. It's more about love the one you're with than it is about who is it that pushes me in my relationship with God? Who is it that has my back through thick and thin? Who is it that God has placed in my life as, a, as encouragement and as one who, who pushes me in the right direction so that I can do what I was made to do? Now flip back over to Genesis 44 and let's read our last verses as we close. Look at verses 14 through 16. Here's what it says next. It says, now Joseph was still in the house when Judah, underlined Judah, and his brothers came in. We're going to talk about Judah extensively next week. Now Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Underlined, threw themselves to the ground before him. The repentance wasn't just in the street in the moment. The repentance is translated now to the house. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find these out, find things out by divination? He's saying to them, don't you realize I have a connection with Almighty God? Verse 16, watch this, this is nuts. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, 
What can we say? Underline and highlight that because it's repeated there twice. That's a powerful word for us. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Underline, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Now, we are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find in this passage is Joseph looks at them and says, from your own mouth, what do you have to say about this? And Judah is so prominent here. And we're going to talk about this at length next week. But Judah, Judah is the one who suggests that the brothers sell him into slavery back in Genesis 37. So for Judah to be the one to stand up and to spearhead this conversation, Judah stands up and says, we We have no excuse. Now, that's a beautiful thing when it comes to the inner circle in your life. To let someone in and truly know all the intimate details of your life, to give them a key and access to your house. We find in this circumstance, when the evidence is stacked up against them, the brothers don't spin it. They just look at him and go, what can we say? He even repeats it. What can we say? The guilt rests upon us. You got to remember this too. They've been told by the steward that the grain has supernaturally appeared in their sacks on the first trip and that God is the one who gave it to them. What Judah is saying here is when he says, what can we say? He goes, God blessed us without us knowing it the first time. And now God has clearly cursed us with it appearing in your sack this time. He said, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. He doesn't just say God's messing with us. He said, the Lord knows what we did to Joseph. The Lord knows what we did to our brother all those years ago. If you're taking notes, and by the way, there's some of you watching this that are right on the cusp of not just reconciliation, but true partnership with someone that you love dearly. And this last piece might just be the thing that finally knits you back together. Are you ready for this? What are signs that we can let someone into our inner circle? Number one, their life is open to you. Number two, you've experienced their response to conflict. And number three, they save you the spin out of respect. Let me say that again. They save you the spin out of respect. There are some of you watching this and you wronged someone you love deeply and you have done the first parts that we talked about. You've gone through forgiveness and reconciliation and you're right on the cusp of getting the key back to the house. You're right on the cusp of what we used to call being out of the doghouse, right? But you find yourself, it's like beating your head against a wall. The person that you wrong just really struggles to trust you. Can I tell you what's been my experience? If the evidence points against you, just own it. Don't spin it. It's incredibly frustrating for someone who feels lied to when they uncover something where the evidence points against you and then you try to spin it and sell it. They don't receive that well, and it whittles away at trust. Listen to me. Whether it's true or not, Judah knows they didn't do this thing. But instead of going, we didn't do it. Where's my lawyer? We didn't do it. 
Man, I, I need to see my attorney. I didn't do this. I have rights as a citizen. I have rights. I mean, I, this is just who I am. You know what? There's this big conspiracy. Such and such is out to get me. No, what does he say here? He comes back and he goes, what can we say? What can we say? The evidence points against me. If I'm in your shoes, I'm thinking the exact same thing. Out of respect for Joseph, he saves him the spin. If you're taking notes, you don't take anything else away from today. Take this. This could save your marriage. could save your friendship. This might just save your job. Are you ready for this? When a mistake is made, what little trust remains is suffocated by salesmanship. Let me say that again. When a mistake is made, what little trust remains is suffocated by salesmanship. You know what that means? That means if you've screwed up, just say you're sorry. That's it. Own it. Own the mistake. Know that the shed blood of Jesus Christ covers you so that you can spend eternity with Almighty God. But for reconciliation and then that partnership to take place again, for the seeds of trust to take root and to grow into something that is a fruit-bearing plant, you got to come to the point where you stop selling. And in this city, we got some great salesmen and saleswomen. You're great with words. You're highly educated people. You want to know why you can't find that reconciliation and partnership? It's because people don't trust you. When the seeds of trust start to sprout up, that salesmanship strangles and suffocates the life out of what's left. I'm teaching you power if you're listening. When a mistake is made, what little trust is left gets suffocated by salesmanship. There should be some people in your life that even if they have to spend things for the rest of the world, listen to me, that they tell you the truth. Even if they have to spend things for other people, they tell you the truth. Now, just for the record, this isn't just with mistakes. This also goes with grief. We got a dear friend, Bill Gavora. Bill passed away last year. Bill and his family went through the unthinkable. He had two twin kiddos, Chris and Catherine, and Bill, um, Bill's son Chris, 15 years old, baseball player at Grapevine High School, was in, uh, while I was the student minister at First Baptist in Grapevine, Chris is in the batting cage, they've got all the nets around, and while Chris is in the batting cage, there was a tiny hole in one of the net pieces, a tiny, tiny hole. One in a billion shot. In the batting cage, the batter hits the ball on a strong line drive. It goes through that one in a million holes, hits Chris in the head, and he drops dead, a bleeding on the brain. He's got a twin sister, Catherine. They connected and were part of our student ministry, and it was just unbelievably awful but we watched them they stayed connected as a family bill adored and loved his wife until the day he took his last breath and went to be with jesus and his daughter Catherine. Catherine is a dear friend to autumn and i and one of those people that was just so kind to us during our time at grapevine and we tried to be kind to her as well we asked bill at one point we said how did you stay together through this he gave us some really powerful advice he said, we had a rule. He said, the rule was that you could do whatever it took to get through the day. He said, each one of us had a mask that we put on. 
because Chris had not only died, but he had died in such a public and in such a just brutal fashion. He said, we had a rule that you could wear whatever mask you wanted to wear out in public, but the moment you walked through the door in our inner circle, he said, for him, for his wife, and for his daughter, he said, you were not allowed to wear the mask. You had to be honest. He said, that meant if you were going to sob, that you sobbed. He said, that meant if you were going to be angry, that you were angry. He said, you could be whatever you wanted on the outside, but on the inside, out of respect, we needed you to be honest and truthful. Now listen to me. I truly believe that through that navigating, through that mindset, he has illustrated for us exactly what we've seen in this passage. There should be some people in your life that you truly let in, that you truly let experience who you really are. And not just for them, for you. If you're not honest with the outside world, if there's never anyone you tell the full truth with, you don't need to be surprised when you drift into becoming someone who doesn't really have a moral compass, someone who doesn't really have a driving force behind them. It begs the final question today. Are you getting the whole story? Before you let someone in your inner circle, are you truly getting their whole story? No spin, just truth. I got one final thing to share with you and then we'll close today. All of this runs under the understanding that Jesus is worthy to be in your inner circle. That Jesus fulfills all these criteria. That he is fully open in his life to us and he desires for us to be the same with him. We've watched him experience conflict when he passed away from death on the cross and then rose again. We watched him deal with the conflict of Pilate and the Pharisees over and over again. And then... There is no spin with the Son of God, only truth. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Zach, I've been considering letting Christ into my inner circle, becoming a disciple. If that's you, I want to encourage you. He is worthy. He is worthy to be in the inner circle. He is worthy to be that guiding influence in your life and you just need to invite him in. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Hopefully, the Lord will use this to really knit together some family partnership situations. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. I've only got two groups to talk to tonight. First is this. Are you somebody who is looking to let someone in in partnership with you? Are you somebody who is really, really considering an inner circle relationship decision. It's been kind of funny. I don't remember what the title of the show is, but there's this show on Netflix that we saw people posting about where people basically fall in love and they're in these pods, you know, and they don't actually see each other. Just for the record, there is no better example of the exact opposite of what I'm sharing with you than that Netflix show. 
if you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? You're watching this and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? There's somebody I've met through this or there's somebody I reconnected with and I'm really thinking of giving them the keys to my house. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, I pray that this would be a good opportunity for you. But I also pray that you would go into it with your eyes wide open with the criteria we've talked about, that they would be truly open to you and you'd be willing to be open and not hide things from them that you would see their response to conflict before you jump in and that you would save the spin, that this would be somebody that you would care for so much and that they would care for you so much that the honesty, that you wouldn't have to wear the masks when you're together. If that's you and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would make a good decision with this person I'm thinking of letting in. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for that courage. I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is very simple. God, is this person worthy? God, is this person worthy of being in my inner circle? Remember, even Jesus weighed the options. Even Jesus weighed the consequences before he selected the twelve. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, that inner circle of mine needs to have Jesus in it. I need to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I need to commit my life to him. And I need to trust him. I need to trust him that his ways are higher than my ways and that he wants what's best for me, even in times like this that are deeply complicated. With nobody looking around but just me, If you're here and you'd say, Zach, I'm trusting Jesus today. I want him in on my inner circle. I want to submit to him as my Lord. I want to be his disciple. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you. Just say this simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord. I'll be your disciple. That simple prayer could change your life forever. And if you're praying that prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you to reach out to tj at waterfrontchurchdc.com. That's tj at waterfrontchurchdc.com. And we'd love to follow up with you and have a discussion. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand wherever we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the passages of Scripture that we've been able to study today. And Lord, thank you for laying out for us in Mark chapter 3 that it's not being exclusive, that it's not being showing favoritism when we really consider who it is that we allow to be close to us. Lord, I thank you for that example set for us by Jesus Christ. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that as we go through and study these passages, I pray that as we consider letting people into our inner circle, that you would give us great wisdom and insight. And Lord, for those who need to let someone in, give them a great peace. And I pray they would proceed knowing that they're making a good decision. But God, for those who are here that your spirit is providing pause to, I pray that they would stop be filled with the patience that comes as a fruit of the Spirit 
And Lord, I pray they would be willing to wait until it is fully revealed that this person is worthy of being their partner. Lord, I also pray for those who are allowing Jesus into the inner circle for the very first time today. Lord, I pray that you would give them a double portion of courage. And Lord, that this moment might change their lives forever. We love you, Lord. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray.